there's a whole lot of other like non-hormonal things that happen too that people miss out. These aren't necessarily negative because you can you can actually just correct them uh, pretty easily. But there's a lot of things like our generally people's neat levels go down. Non-exercise activated thermogenesis. They or you know they or activity thermogenesis. They just don't move as much when they're not eating as much because they're kind of tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Uh, that's why like the whole step tracking people using like the, the watches and all that stuff that track the steps that got really popular. Cause it's like, Oh wait, I can, I can track my neat levels now and I can make sure I hold myself accountable and just move enough. Right. Because it's like, you take that hundred, 150 calories out of your diet. I can easily move a hundred less calories in a day. That's not very difficult to do. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because most people, depending on their lifestyle, their NEAT levels make up for way more caloric expenditure than their exercise does. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to go to buyjack.com slash CEP to pick up all of your CEP network gear, including the new hoodies and coffee mugs representing all three of the shows on our network. And that includes Crush Your Cast, Raised on the Radio, and of course, the CEP. Also, head on over to truenutrition.com for all of your nutrition and supplement needs. And when you check out, be sure to use the code CEPN for a 5% discount on your total order. Now, for this episode, Colt and I continue our three-part series titled Adaptions Associated with Physique Enhancement with Austin Stout. Once again, Austin is a competitive bodybuilder, a strength coach, and a seemingly never-ending source of information, as you will undoubtedly discover as you listen to this series. During the second episode titled Metabolic Adaptions, you will hear us discuss how bodies are designed to adapt, some typical mistakes that lead to metabolic dysfunction and how to correct and avoid those mistakes, what is actually happening in the body during metabolic dysfunction, particularly in the thyroid, and much more. Prepare to keep your brains warm out there with this one, and so without further introduction, here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always, and of course, is my good friend Colt. Yes, sir. And with us on the line today, once again, for our series part two, Mr. Austin Stout. How are you doing today, Austin? I am good. I appreciate you guys having me again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you jumping on to uh, share your knowledge with us during this series, and so... Yeah, today I hope you're staying warm. We're freezing balls down here in Missouri. Um, yeah, what's the what's the temp like? It's like I think five today. Five degrees. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five's good. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Five's good. <laughs> I mean, Ohio's Ohio's definitely no warmer than Missouri generally. I figured. Yeah. Yeah, it's been very cold, and it's been we've had plenty of snow and. Yeah, all that good stuff. Snow's been off and on for us here lately. We're supposed to get a, would you call it a downpour of snow over the next couple of days? I think that's fair to say. (laughs) Like six inches or so of snow coming our way. And so it's already been frozen. We like have the frozen tundra that we've had for the past week and a half. Ground, snow, frozen, snow's frozen on top. The fun part's when all that melts and it's like mush everywhere. Uh Yeah, that's going to be a good time. I think uh, a week from today, we're supposed to get back into the 40s, maybe. And so then it's just going to be like one big mud hole. Yeah. It's going to be sweet. How's the uh, how's the barn gym during that cold weather? You got plenty of heat out there? Do you just generate your own? (laughs) It's so it's about 
it was about 15 degrees today outside, but um, I have like a, like one of those big kerosene torpedo heaters, you know, like the big, but dude, my barn's so old that it heats like a 10 foot space around the heater, you know, and everything else just kind of like rises through the top. Um, so you can stand, you like stand in front of it between sets kind of thing. Yeah. And then it's a pretty big building. So, uh, it heats a small area and you just keep yourself warm in between. I put my dumbbells in front of it before I use them. Cause you can't, they're too cold to hang on to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it does a job. Like it, it's honestly, it's cold, but like, honestly, I, I turned my heater off halfway through. I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine once you start generating enough of your own body heat, that torpedo heater is superfluous at that point. Yeah. You just, just hat, you know, hat, pants, tuck your shirt in, keep everything like in enclosed. There you go. go. It, it still reminds me of like Rocky four when he's training in Russia, right. To fight the big oh, yeah. Russian Ivan Drago. And he's out there. It's and, very, it's very much like that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, you know, the topic today is meta metabolic adaption, right? And so I'm curious to get into that. Yeah, I know you was going to have trouble saying it. You still um, said it wrong. You know that, right? You said adaption. Yeah, that's that's what we're saying. That's, all, are we, that's, yeah. we're gonna, that's how we're going to do metabolic it? adaption. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm okay with that. I'm, <laughs> I, I came to peace with that. But yeah, it sounds like a very interesting topic. And of course, you know, we're gonna we're gonna count on losing our video. Right, there we go. <laughs> I got you back. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna let you guide us through this topics, and of course, we're gonna have questions as we always do because that's what we do. Yeah. So. Where do we start? What What are the very basics of metabolic adaption? So what 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 is metabolic adaption? I guess it'd be a good uh, good Perfect. starting point. Perfect. Um, sure. So, kind of a back story, I guess, is or a little back history. I think this topic really came about. Um, I don't know. I'd probably. It's been a little while. I'd probably say six to eight years or so, like people started really figuring out, they use the word at then they were using the word metabolic damage or the term metabolic damage, right? Because they were describing, you know, they were describing people that had essentially what they thought was damaging their metabolism from dieting too much or, you know, stressing their body out too much, right. Or, or competing too often if they were bodybuilders or, or whatever. And then we've come to better understand it a lot more in that you, your body adapts all kinds of different ways, you know, metabolism, hormones, like we talked about in the hormone, the female hormone episode, like all of those things are essentially, uh, they're a hormonal adaption, but they're all from the same source, which would be like your body being too stressed out or deprived of something. Right. Hmm. So, um, metabolic adaption would allude to more of like, hormones or processes that are related to like, uh, your metabolism, you know, losing, maintaining body composition or losing body fat or, or whatever. So, um, <clears throat> there's a whole lot of things that actually happen. So the main things that, you know, the main things that people are going to be concerned about is like, well, why, or how does it affect my ability to, um, lose body fat, right. Or maintain, or not even lose body fat, or even just like, maintain a good body composition in general, right? Because we know over time with age, you know, hormones can drop and metabolism can slow down and, and all these things. 
And, uh, you know, in women, we have menopause and men where our testosterone levels will go down over time. Right. So we have a whole population that they have all this normal stuff that goes on. And then they're doing all kinds of other things that are artificially slowing them down. Right. They are constantly trying to maintain a body fat that their body probably doesn't want to maintain. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's going to vary person to person. And I think that's a good thing to establish off the bat is that every, the amount of adaption and, and what you have to do to cause adaption will vary person to person. But women generally will adapt quicker than men because biologically women are not made to walk around with six pack abs. That's just not what a woman's body is supposed to do. Okay. So sorry, ladies, like all your, you know, all the people you love on Instagram, it's probably BS. They probably, I, I posted this at one point too, and I think it ruffled some feathers, but I posted something instead of show me one, show me one female that walks around super lean all the time and has no, no hormonal issues, no eating disorders or no metabolic issues whatsoever. And I said, I'll wait because you probably won't find one. Right. Right. And it's not like a matter of if, but it's a matter of when do that, does that finally catch up with them? You know what I mean? And there are always exceptions. Like there are genetics can reign supreme on everything. Like there are exceptions. There are going to be the 1% of people that male and female that are just lean all the time. And maybe they can't put on weight. You know what I mean? Like they can't, they have a harder time eating enough to, to gain weight, but, um, in general, women will adapt quicker than men because hormonally and metabolically, their bodies uh, trying to preserve certain functions so they can reproduce, right? Their menstrual cycle is going to be the biggest one. And men, uh, men will definitely adapt and some men pretty quick, some not so much. Men just seem to be a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more resilient. We adapt in a similar way, but they're a little bit easier to fix. If that makes sense afterwards, like it takes a little bit less time for that to come back to normal versus a female. Um, <clears throat> and men can take, men can take just maybe a little more abuse. If, if that's a, maybe the correct word for it, just like, you know, pushing their body harder and eating low calories and things like that. Um, women, some women adapt. And I mean, some men do too, but some women adapt like super quick. You start, you start taking food away from their body and they're just like, body's just like, boop down, you know, metabolism's just like, nope, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not, we don't want to do that. Right. Mm. <clears throat> so why does that happen? I know that's everyone wants to know why does it happen? So, <laughs> so we are, we are designed that way. Right. We're designed to adapt because we were never designed to compete in bodybuilding and stand on stage in a, you know, thong or whatever, you know, right. <laughs> right. I'm calling it a thong. I'm a bodybuilder, but I'm going to call it, we'll call it whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just not, I mean, biologically, or you want to talk about like, or use the word, you know, evolutionary, like we were, we have evolved in a certain way to, be able to adapt to starvation and you know like all these things that were potentially a potentially like a problem at some point right i mean there's still people that do battle with that not having food and things like that but generally that's way less that that occurs far far less than it did you know even 100 years ago or 200 300 you know we look back in history it's it's we have less and less of that over time so we also have more and more convenience 
right? We have more and more access to food and easy food. And we also have more access to food that's way more calorically dense than the way it was designed originally, right? But we also have access to food that's way more palatable than it was designed originally, right? Because they do all these things to enhance the way something tastes. Like a McDonald's burger tastes good, but you know that it's not because they're using high quality, like the highest quality grass-fed beef that makes their burger taste good. It's like, that's not it probably, you know? Yeah. So anyhow, um, our bodies are designed that way. We're, we are designed hormonally and metabolically to adapt. Essentially, the adaption would be uh, conservation. Everything slows down. And that's kind of the point, right? Um, it just depends, like I said, it depends on the person and their history and their status and all these things and in terms of how fast they slow down. So if a, like a short-term adaption um, is very easy to fix, it would be like if you fasted for, let's say like you didn't eat for two days, you fasted for 48 hours and you stopped fasting after that, you'd have no ramifications from that probably, right? It's an adaption would be a more severe one would be like, you do a uh, contest prep, you know, getting ready for a contest and you do 16 to 20 weeks and you are, you know, you're essentially in a light mode of starvation the whole time. Well, that's a pretty long period of time, right? Okay. Mm. And then you do that for one year and then you take off not even a, a year in between, you know, six, eight months and like you do it again. And, and this is where it starts accumulating. Um, one of the best things you could possibly do to prevent any kind of adaption would be just don't deprive your body of food too often. Okay. And then also don't over-exercise your body too often, meaning because uh, it's, it's caloric deprivation, but it's also like just too much stress. Like, you know, people do way too much cardiovascular activity. And I, I mean, I get clients that have metabolism, we'll call it like uh, weight loss resistance, right? That's like, no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. Right. Well, they've also been doing cardio every day for X number of years. And then they, you know, I, I get this, especially with women, they teach a spin, you know, like four spin classes a week in their gym where they're spinning on the bike for an hour and then they're doing their own cardio and then they weight train five days a week and they're a mom and taking care of their kids and their sleep schedule is not very good and they're not, and they're under eating food. And I'm like, there's like, <laughs> there's literally every part of that's wrong, right? Like every <laughs> There's nothing right about that at all. So, so just uh, a lot of it's just like lifestyle stuff that we can change and we can start to correct those adaptions, which that's the hardest, that's the hardest sell with all of this because a lot of people don't want to change their habits. Right. Uh, when I tell them, well, I can't lose weight. Okay. Well, you can exercise less and do less cardio. Like what? Well, no, 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 no. Like that's the whole reason I'm doing cardio in the first place. Right. Like I don't want to get fat. You know, it's this like fear of fear of, uh, uh, backtracking or fear of like losing what they've already, you know, the progress that they've already made. And a lot of this is a very psychological. Most of the cases that I get are, I can lay out a plan that works, but the buy-in part is hard right? Getting people to buy in and follow this and realize that they need to relax and, and do all these things. So, so what are some of the things that actually happen with adaption? So like what, like hormonally and, and, uh, 
metabolically what is actually going on. So there's a few things, several things really, but one of the main things or one of the couple of the main components would be your thyroid. Your thyroid does adapt. Um, essentially in the thyroid, and I, I may have mentioned this in the last one, but in the thyroid, we have a signaling pathway. So essentially you get TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. And that tells the body to, that tells the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone. Okay. So basically the amount of TSH you have is usually just in reference to the amount of thyroid hormone. Like if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, you're, you will, you know, get the signal to make more TSH. You see what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like low thyroid, high TSH, right? So when TSH signals, it tells your body to make T4, which is, um, which is the, basically the precursor to T3. You convert T4 into T3. T3 is your active thyroid. That's what you have. You know, that's what you use in the body. Um, more specifically, you use free T3, which means it's not bound to any other, uh, you know, proteins in the body. But for simplicity's sake, we'll just say you use T3. Um, now, there's a few things that can happen there. If you are very stressed out, so you don't even have to be in a calorie deficit. Like you could literally just be eating, you could be eating 5 million calories from whatever. And if you're really stressed out, your cortisol can go up, right? So when your cortisol goes up, you stop converting T4 into T3 efficiently. So now that conversion pathway is disrupted. You actually shift to the other pathway which would be reverse T3. Reverse T3 is like a mirror image, but it does nothing. It's useless. It's inactive. So like if I were to check someone's blood work and they see you have high TSH and high reverse T3, that tells me their thyroid glands work at, or their, you know, their body's trying to signal this production for the thyroid. But the reason that they're not getting any T3 is because it's all dumping over into the reverse side. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the most common thing. And that's well-documented in research. You can jump right on PubMed where you look up the studies and stuff, and it'll tell you, you look up like starvation and thyroid or, or, you know, anything like that. It'll show you, uh, basically restriction will lead to high reverse serum levels of reverse T3. So, be, you know, in your blood. And that's the main thing with the thyroid. Now, once you advance further, um, you can start having more issues with that. Your gland, basically your thyroid gland and your, or your hypothalamus where you're getting signaling from can start to basically like wear out. Okay. Now you'll see more advanced cases. People end up with like, um, autoimmune disorders, which would be, if you heard of like Hashimoto's, mm -hmm. Uh, which should Hashimoto's is essentially hypothyroid. So you have low thyroid, but an autoimmune disorder like attacks the gland, right? It basically is like antibodies in your body that are attacking the gland. And there's a, there's countless autoimmune disorders. There's tons of them like uh, celiac gluten intolerant, like the gluten intolerant celiac that's an autoimmune disorder. So um, your thyroid gland can get attacked and eventually it gets, beat up and broken down and it can't even, you know, it can't even produce T4 for you anymore or not enough. Right. So those types of people often, if you don't catch it early enough, they may end up on like medication or, you know, things like that. 
Um, so the antibodies are usually a result of an immune response and inflammation. So your body's like super duper stressed out. You're very inflamed. Normally your gut gets very inflamed, you know, cause anyone's real been really stressed out. Their gut doesn't always feel real good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You know, like you, everyone's felt that before. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's happening, but it's like on a more chronic scale. You know what I mean? Like a long-term chronic scale. I mean, nine times out of 10, the people that have these like weight loss resistance type of clients that have all these adaptions or hormonal issues, also their gut doesn't function very well because they're just stressed. I mean, do they have, is it because they have like a food intolerance or something? Maybe, but probably not. It's probably more like, they have just been way too stressed out for way long, you know, way too long. So um, we'll end up with potential autoimmune issues, which literally attack the thyroid gland. The thyroid gland can't even do its job. So there's a lot of, there's a couple different ways that you could have poor thyroid function. Okay. So those are, that's kind of like one of your main adaptions that occurs there's different figures I've seen. I mean, I've seen figures that say like, Oh, you you know, you can only have about 10% negative adaption in your thyroid. Meaning like you're, you know, if your functions, uh, you function at 80% now, you can only drop by 10%. You know what I mean? Um, the hard part about the studies that when it talks about this stuff is like population sample, like who are they sampling? You know what I mean? Always like, right. Like are, are they sampling gen pop people or are they sampling like, I mean, I'm guaranteed if you sample bodybuilders that are doing super duper restrictive dieting and, you know, trying to get very lean or even just general pop people that are trying to get down to like, you know, sub 10% body fat, that's going to be a whole different story, right? Mm. And there is some research on starvation too, um, of like longer term starvation and stuff. But yeah, that's, so that's kind of the the main things with the thyroid is that um, T4 conversion, T4 to T3 conversion goes down long-term. They may end up with some autoimmune issue going on. Um, There's not a whole lot else with thyroid. You can end up, you can also with a wrecked gut, you can also have poor conversion from T4 to T3. That conversion actually happens in the gut mainly. That's one of the main places that it happens. So that gut's really important. Okay. Um, the gut also would control a hormone or a component called thyroid binding globulin, which is like, uh, try to give you an example. So the difference between test testosterone and free testosterone. Okay. There is a component like SHBG is a hormone. It can bind and basically make your testosterone inactive. Same thing with the thyroid, that T that, the TBH, make sure I'm saying that right. Yes. Well, bind with your thyroid and make it inactive. So there's three things. So you, you could not convert well. And even if you get down to T3, if you have a lot of inflammation and your gut's not working well, that binding might, that binding might just steal all your T3 away. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of things that could potentially go wrong there. Right. Um, and I would say, I don't know the exact statistics, but I would have I would imagine thyroid medication is probably one of the most commonly prescribed medications around, at least in the U S outside of maybe probably like 
blood pressure, medic, diabetes, medication and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's pretty common. Like it's relatively common to see it prescribed. The problem is that a lot of the time they, if someone does get to the point where they have to have it prescribed, like we can't correct it, which in most cases you can't correct it without meds, just, you know, just to be clear on that. Um, they don't, they don't treat it very well because they, what the first thing, and you're going to, you're going to see why this is ironic. The first thing that they often prescribe is T4 and then they want your body to convert that T4 to T3. Well, part of the, probably part of the reason that you, your thyroid wasn't functioning in the first place because you weren't converting well. Right. Right. So we can fix the, we can fix the stress and we can fix that stuff or hope to fix that stuff to fix that conversion. Um, but the medication, sometimes people just don't notice a lot of difference because they, your general person that goes to their doctor and they see a sluggish, you know, sluggish thyroid, um, they unfortunately don't even check T3 a lot of the time, which I've like blows my mind <laughs> why they wouldn't check your active thyroid hormone. You know, a lot of the time they just check your TSH. And if your TSH is high, they're like, oh, hypothyroid, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And then they give you T4. They might check your T4 if you're lucky. And they say, oh, your T4 is low or whatever. So, you know. Is there um, negative consequences to taking that T4 if it's not going to do anything anyways? Or it's not going to convert like they um, want it to? No, not really. Like the only thing that's going to happen is it's going to dump into that reverse T3 just more and more and more because you're just not converting it very well. Gotcha. Um, and there's other reasons that like cortisol is one of the main things, you know, one of the main components that, that causes that shift over to reverse T3, but there's, there's other things that can cause it like nutrient deficiencies and, and inflammation and things like that, which, um, Nutrient deficiencies is something that you don't hear people talk about a whole lot and people that eat a pretty good diet, I guess. But I will be the first to tell you that if you are, you know, trying to get lean and you're eating like four foods every day, you probably have some nutrient deficiencies. <laughs> you know, like you, yeah. there's not a whole lot of nutrients in chicken and rice or chicken and broccoli. Like there's just not, you know. You're missing out on a whole lot. And you can people supplement with things. They, you know what I mean? But there's still a lot of minerals and things that you that you're potentially missing. So it's quite possible um, that you do have some nutrient deficiencies there as well. Well, as a population as a whole, you mentioned that uh, thyroid medications were probably one of the most commonly prescribed along with things like blood pressure and probably cholesterol meds, too. Um, it sounds like that's a, that's all kind of framed into a stressed out and, and and it's population wide as a whole, uh, not necessarily with fitness and bodybuilding, but a bunch of fat people who are stressed out and work too much and don't get enough rest. Right. And so that's, it sounds like that's a recipe for, for a bad thyroid experience. Yeah. It's a recipe for about everything experience, you know, (laughs) right. It's, uh, it's, uh, most, I mean, most things that are prescribed or most issues that if we're talking about like hormones and, um, especially like cholesterol, you know, stuff like that, there are genetic components to all that stuff. Yeah. And there are, there are like real diseases that people have genetic, you know, genetic diseases that are just, but the, you know, how common are those things? They're not very common. You know what I mean? Like they're not. So, 
um, a lot of it is lifestyle, you know, a lot of it is lifestyle stuff. And the thing that's important to understand, which I'm sure from listening to the female one, you understand that like nothing happens in isolation, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is connected somewhere. Right. Sure. You know, like I'm just sitting, I'm referencing the gut. We're not even, we weren't even talking about the gut. We're talking about metabolic adaptions. I'm talking about how the gut can hurt your thyroid, right? So, and then what hurts your gut? Well, stress hurts your gut, right? So it's like, you know, we got all this, we got all this stuff going on. So it can be pretty, it can be kind of overwhelming to try to figure out what's causing, you know, what's the root of the issue. But, um, if you a little bit of investigative work, like some of the stuff, you know, people are struggling with these things. I always, I always like to look back a ways in their history to not just like, well, what are you doing right now? That's important. But what have you done for the last 10 years? Like, you know, did you, um, what did you, were you can do a bodybuilding? Were you like a, a discipliner? I have those. They, a lot of them have a lot of metabolic issues because they, they want to stay very, very light. You know what I mean? They want to stay very, very light and they're running all the time. Like their bodies can, their bodies can just be totally stressed out and overtrained. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, people like, were you an athlete in high school? I had, a, um, I've had, had a gal that I was working with, uh, she's doing much better now, but she was, you know, she competed like four years in a row. And previous to that, she was a very good track athlete for many, many, many years. And she was constantly over cardio, like, you know, just all the time. And then eventually her body just did not respond anymore. You know, it's like, well, what I did last time isn't working anymore. And then eventually it was like, nothing's working anymore. Right. Um, because a caloric, like if you eat less calories, you you're going to lose weight eventually. Right. Like if you can just eat less, until you're eating just zero. But the problem is those adaptions get worse. And then also you're just not going to look very good. Obviously, like you can always just eat less calories, but your your the body composition is not going to be very good. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we could create a cal- caloric deficit. You can just not eat. Right. But you're not going to have very much muscle. You're just going to look like, you know, look like garbage. Right. Well, you, you mentioned fasting earlier. Is there any in any of anything that you do, do you include fasting anywhere or do you fast at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Fasting has, I mean, fasting has some pretty well-documented benefits and I see it just in practice using it. Um, I was also wondering before you move on to that, Austin, if, if someone has any kind of thyroid malfunction, would a, a 48 hour fast, would that be beneficial? Or would that be contraindicated if they already have those issues with their, with their levels? So if they have a gut issue, they might benefit from fasting. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I guess I would probably see like, I probably want to know why, what their thyroid issues derive from. You know what I mean? Because if I, if it's a hormonal issue or a thyroid issue or something that's related to over-exercising or under-eating and things like that, we're generally wanting to eat more food mm-hmm. with those people. Like we generally want to feed them up and continue to, build that build up their food intake and lower their activity level um but if we're talking about gut issues and things like that there could potentially be benefit doing for doing fasting i mean one of the best ways to lower inflammation in your gut is not put food in it you know so right um so yeah 
I think fasting is fine, especially for people just for like general, um, just for like general health and just for like giving your GI tract a rest every once in a while. Yeah. Even if it's not a long period, even if you just like fat, you, you know, you eat a meal at eight or nine o'clock the previous night and you, you fast till like the evening the next day, you know, it's like 18 to 24 hours or something. Mm -hmm. Even there it's, you're going to feel much better. You know what I mean? So most of the, so most of the research on fasting and stuff shows some benefits in certain windows, right? Like a certain, like up to like, you know, 72 hours or so. Most people aren't fasting 72 hours or some people that do, but, uh, you, most of your negative stuff's like chronically under eating. Right. And, um, and plus if you were obese, there's, and this has been done in like, uh, in controlled medical settings, like taking obese people and not feeding them for months at a time, you know, they lived. So they didn't <laughs> well, die. That's a bonus. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They all lived and they all lost, a, you know, as you can imagine, they all lost a ton of body fat. Right. But that's just because their body didn't feel as threatened because it had all this, you know, it had all this body fat to begin with. You take somebody, you take somebody else that's in relatively good shape or kind of like normal for what their body's used to, that might be different. And that's kind of a good, that's kind of a good point too, because the idea of adaption would be the more your body feels threatened, the more likely it is to occur. So kind of the way that I kind of illustrate it is think about what you would look like if you just maybe like leisurely exercise, you know, few days a week, did some resistance training, nothing crazy. Um, you ate a pretty, a pretty good diet just based on like, like your, your hunger levels. Like, let's say your body liked to sit around, you know, 2,500, 3000 calories. You feel pretty normal there. You're not real hungry. You feel pretty stable. What would you look like right now? Let's take, let's take what you want to look like is what you want to look like way the heck leaner than what your body would normally look like. Well, I guarantee that you're not, you know what I mean? Like that's not going to be a position that you'll be able to maintain forever without adaption. Right. Okay. And that's why I mentioned women and stuff too. Cause how many women do you know that if they did those things, like I said, would still walk around with, you know, separation in their, their quads and their delts and like, you know, their glutes and all that stuff like our, even just bikini athletes, like most women don't look anywhere, even freaking close to that yeah you know so you might get some guys that walk around with the that walk around with like a six pack all the time and are you know are a little more lean i guess but um even myself i don't my body adapts quick once i get to about a certain body fat it's like nope we're done we're not doing <laughs> this anymore you know what i mean well from like an from an evolutionary standpoint, I mean, food sources were oftentimes scarce, right? And so the body would right. pretty much store that as fat so that person could live, which is why the, the obese person you mentioned earlier, they didn't die, right? Um, right. After so long, because that's kind of the body's way of saying, hey, I need to live. You know, so I'm going to store this here for future use. Yep. Yeah, because it's – so, yes. Yeah, so, like, the further you get away from your natural uh, set point, the more likely you are to have a – problem right right yeah um so what you mentioned there is is kind of a good segue into some of the other stuff so what is your what essentially like 
your body's conserving, right? Because that's what it wants to do. So what are some of the other things that happen? Well, we mentioned the thyroid slows down or it's or it doesn't uh, convert as well. Also, um, also our leptin levels, which leptin is like our main, one of our main fat burning hormones, right? That helps control metabolism. So leptin will slow down big time. If you, most of the time when we do things uh, like a refeed, when they use the term refeeding, you know, and they're dieting a refeed, the point of a refeed is really to boost your leptin levels. That's, that's kind of the point. Interesting. Um, you can't fully boost your leptin levels in like, you know, in one refeed, but you can do short refeeds to kind of help uh, stave off it going down anymore. Give it like a little bit of a boost. You know what I mean? To fully fix these things, you need more, you need to extended period of time outside of that deficit. Right. So just to right? clarify so, though, just to clarify that point real quick, you're saying that the refeed is actually so that you can produce the fat burning uh, chemicals necessary in your body, right? And yeah. so for, for people who don't know, that's very important because it, it would seem counterintuitive, just like the cardio. Too much cardio, you're actually doing, you, yeah. you're, you're veering from your goal, right? And so yeah. that, that's very important for people who don't know to, to hear that yeah. and to understand those points in, in simple terms. You've got to do things the right way. And sometimes the right way doesn't, it, it's not all about balls to the wall, just, you yeah, know, more. right. Yeah. yeah. There's it, so funny enough, the refeed, you could do a whole like kind of topic. That's kind of a topic in itself, but a refeed. So refeed normally consists of more carbohydrates. That's generally what people eat more carbohydrates that because carbohydrates seem to elicit the most effect on our leptin levels. What also happens is it also helps us convert more T4 into T3. A refeed does. <laughs> nice. The next thing that happens is cortisol insulin levels go up because you eat more carbs insulin is pretty much inverse with cortisol insulin goes up cortisol goes down okay so like there's a lot of good stuff that happens by uh refeeding or if or as the science community would call it overfeeding they call it you know controlled it's basically like controlled overfeeding you know what i mean you overfeed a certain amount of food obviously you could refeed too much if you just ate like a free for all for a couple days or something, you're just going to, you're going to out eat any benefit that you're going to gain. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but a controlled refeed for sure does help. So that's why, it, and you don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be a refeed. It can just literally be like, if you're, you know, trying to attain a certain body fat, as you push harder, you having like small little break periods in there, a day that you, excuse me, like not doing cardio for a couple of days, you'd be surprised the benefit that it can give you, you know? And the more that you, the more that you kind of like regulate that stuff right off the start, the easier it is to keep that in your routine as you go, you know, as you go along, um, like just taking days off and things. Cause you eventually you get to a point where you, if you want to get really lean, you got to push really, really hard and you're not going to be able to, you, you know, you, you have to get pretty adaptive, right? You're just going to have to kind of push. Uh, but for most people that are just trying to lose weight, things like that, they go about it. They go about it in such a backwards way. Like they just, their restrictions so much and without any type of counter or without any type of like, uh, what would you call it? Like um, protective type of, you know, actions in their refeeding and taking rest days and doing all this stuff. 
And <clears throat> of course, you take someone that's like you take someone that's overweight and eating a lot, and you take food away from them, they're going to lose weight super easily at first. Yeah, right. That's my favorite client. Someone that's overweight and eating a bunch. That's that's easy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, the heart of the client that's hard is the one that's overweight and not eating very much. They're just like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. this one's going to be a little more difficult. Right. Um, but yeah, but that's kind of why that's kind of what refeeding does. So definitely don't fear refeeding. Just don't. You just have to understand that refeeding is controlled. It's not like, you know, people kind of uh, kind of like bastardize that term. They're like they're going out and having a bunch of junk and eating some cake and doing all that stuff. Like that's not really like a refeed. It doesn't do, that's not probably not giving you any benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Well, you were also um, saying like when insulin goes up, the cortisol goes down. We don't want people to think that, okay, I'm stressed out. I need to eat a bunch of carbs. That's going to help me out. That's not how this works. <laughs> right. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't want to do that. But, <laughs> but one of the things that I do when I feed, like when I feed people up and kind of like rebuilding processes, I will add, I do make sure that I'm adding some carbs in normally if their cortisol is high, you know what I mean? Because we can help de-stress their body and bring that cortisol response down a little bit. Um, There is a such thing as low cortisol too, which is different, but, but in general, yeah, it's uh, the insulin does have a little bit of benefit in there. And plus, plus the carbohydrates help with things, you know, like serotonin and, uh, and things like that. just make you feel a little bit better. Mm Mm-hmm. So where was I going off into tangent here? So we talked about, talking about refeeding. We we're talking about uh, some of the other things, the leptin, the leptin levels. Uh, so leptin levels do decrease very quickly. Okay. And like I said, the further away you get from your set point, the more they're going to, they're more, they're going to decrease. So refeeding will help us with that. Just periods of not being in a caloric deficit will help us with that. Uh, leptin is very much like time. You know, we just need time out of a, out of a deficit and away from stress to bring our leptin back up. You're never going to, you would never get really lean, like way beyond your normal potential without look, your leptin levels going down. It's not, I mean, wouldn't happen. You know, I think that's important to understand too, but I think it's important to understand that short term in a really short term controlled environment. If you're starting at a healthy point, the adaption is probably okay because we can we can adapt back upwards afterwards, right? You know what I mean? Like we can we can adapt back in the same in the opposite direction. But the problem is, a lot of these people have low leptin levels and crappy thyroid function before they even start. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, we're digging we're digging a hole that's going to be a lot more difficult to get out of. Yeah. So leptin, there's a whole lot of other like non hormonal things that happen too that people miss out. These aren't necessarily negative because you can you can actually just correct them uh, pretty easily. But there's a lot of things like are generally people's neat levels go down. Non-exercise activated thermogenesis. They are you know they or activity thermogenesis. They just don't move as much when they're not eating as much because they're kind of tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So uh, that's why like the whole step tracking people using like the the watches and all that stuff that track the steps that got really popular because it's like oh wait i can i can track my neat levels now and i can make sure i hold myself accountable and just move enough right because 
it's like you take that 100, 150 calories out of your diet. I can easily move 100 less calories in a day. That's not very difficult to do. Right. You know, mm -hmm. because most people, depending on their lifestyle, their NEAT levels make up for way more caloric expenditure than their exercise does. Way more. Right. Yeah. Um, like my NEAT levels I, are probably not anything. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> like, you know, as I sit a lot, I move around, I move around some in the house. And I try to walk around and stuff because I just want to get up. But my knee levels is way lower than somebody that's like a you know construction worker or, or even someone, you know, even someone working at a grocery store that's like walking up and down the aisles and stuff. I'm just, just a lot less. So, um, knee levels go down. Also, you're carrying less weight around. So you're burning less calories. Even if I walk for 30 minutes, if I walk for 30 minutes weighing, so well, we'll do a more exaggerated example, but if you're 300 pounds and you walk for 30 minutes versus your 150 pounds, you walk for 30 minutes, I guarantee that 300 pound person is burning way more calories right. than that 150 pound person, because that's a, that's like wearing weight on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you seen the huge, that's why you see like a big bodybuilder walking on a treadmill or something. They're just like dumping sweat and, and breathing. Dude, that's a lot of oxygen. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know? that's a lot of tissue that has to be basically fed with oxygen. You know, um, you see it in fighting and stuff. I, I know you guys are fight. You guys fall fighting and stuff. Uh -huh. You see some like how many like really muscular fighters do you see? Not very many. They're lanky. They're kind of like lanky and they're lean, but they're not like jacked. Right. You know what I mean? The heavyweights always tend to, to gas out quicker though than, yeah. the, than your lightweights. Yeah, they they have much better yeah, cardio. They have so much more tissue. Right. Yeah. They, they're carrying around more weight. They have more, you know, they have more muscle tissue. They are, it's just a lot to feed. Like, you know, it's a lot for their heart and lungs and everything to just to circulate. Um, and there's been some muscular fighters over time that have kind of like came in and out, but in general, yeah, you just don't, it's just not like designed very well. So, um, so yeah, your body weight goes down. So you burn less calories. You could, uh, if you really wanted to, <laughs> And I've actually had a client that did, that's done this and it worked really well. He just, instead of doing formal cardio, like, um, like treadmill and things like that, we just set his neat levels, his steps and things. And we set a step count. So we maintain the step count and we could increase it if we wanted to. Right. So he could walk outside to get his steps. He could walk around the house, do chores, whatever. Right. Get his steps in. And then as weight went down, he wore a weighted vest during the day and we added weight to the weighted vest as his body weight went down. And nice. That worked pretty well. I mean, because that's about as, that's about as close as we could get to just replicating that same environment over and over again, you know, and that might be a little bit over the top for a normal, you know, like your average person. But uh, my point is that those things people don't really think about, you know what I mean? Um, thermic effect of food goes down. So you're chewing less. So, and you're eating less. So, um, like you have a thermic effect of food, which means the amount of energy your body needs to digest and break down food. Right. Well, if you're eating 1500 calories versus 3000 calories, your, your thermic effect of food or your TEF, your TEF is going to go down. Right. So those are all things that are not related to hormones or metabolism at all. Right. So they, they're going to drop all those things are going to kind of like work against you. Um, 
because you know i mean anyone that's anyone that's kind of tried to get leaner than their average or like kind of relatively lean for what their body's not used to they just you get tired eventually like you're eventually going to get tired and you're not going to want to move as much I mean, you get so tired in a prep that you don't even, like, I can look down at my shoe and I'm like, man, I don't even want to tie this, <laughs> you know? So. I would recommend slip-ons of some kind. In that. <laughs> Dude, that's, I'm all slip-on. It's slip-ons all the time. <laughs> I've gotten yeah. down, you know, I, I don't compete or anything like that, of course, but I've gotten down to where I was just, I felt like I was too skinny, not just even, um physically but psychologically mentally i was just drained kind of like what you're talking about just tired um the world just doesn't move right and and i could tell at that point that it's just not healthy for me to be at that size even though you know by some standards i looked i looked better i guess uh i looked pretty good looked pretty lean but it's it's definitely not worth the consequences not at least not the way that i went about it um which was just basically, you know, calorie deficit and, you know, continuing with the the activity that I get as it as it stands with that calorie deficit. Um so I can definitely speak to to where my average is at. Um and it, there's right. there's a little more body fat than what I would prefer, but I mean as far as the the consequences once good. again, yeah, I, I don't I can't feel like that and function properly in life, so just kind of yeah. got to know where, where, you know, my Goldilocks zone lies and, and kind of stick with that and make the best of it, you know? That's, and that's everyone. And that's why it's so tough because, you know, like people, and it's tough, it's tougher on women too, especially ones that are on Instagram and this and that and have a business. Maybe they coach people and stuff. They want to maintain an image, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm a dude and I weigh like, 250 and i'm kind of a, like hairy and kind of fat and no one really cares yeah you get by you with know? that uh-huh. like i can get like i can get pretty bloated and watery and no one's like it's like you're huge bro <laughs> like, you know it's like whatever you know, it's, <laughs> but for women you know for women it's a little bit harder yeah um like the the one girl that i mentioned and, and there's other plenty of other examples but she she literally expressed to me, she's like, I don't know how to like talk to my clients and and you know promote myself on social media now because I'm not as lean as I was. I'm like, well, promote the message that I'm trying to give to you and that right. people need to understand what is healthy, what's not healthy, or or at least appropriate times that you can get leaner than usual like i'm not saying you could never compete ever again i'm just saying that you can't maintain that body fat all the time Mm -hmm. or try to you know what i mean like like it's going to be we get in there we get lean we do our thing and we get out right so it's just a, a matter of figuring out what you can actually sustain it excuse me and be healthy yeah right because it's and, and I get it. I get it. It's tough and it's hard to. It's like you know, how do you get six pack abs and this and that? Everyone, everyone wants them, every, or every woman wants their their butt to be like super shapely and look better. Um, and for some people, even just looking halfway decent is a really tough task because they've got they have a lot of. Um, I don't want to say a lot of baggage. That's a bad word. Baggage, would <laughs> but they have a lot of they have a lot of uh, of stress and adaptions and things, and their body's very inflamed because their diet's very poor and all this stuff. 
Um, They may be very busy, stressed out, so on and so forth. And maybe they just don't have the good, the best genes either. You know, Mm -hmm. I've told people that I have clients that they want to compete. I'm like, you have no business competing, not because you're not going to do good, because the amount of damage it's going to do to your body to get into that type of condition is just not worth it. Yeah. You know, it's just not worth it. Um, That's why not everyone can be an IFBB pro bodybuilder. Not everyone Mm -hmm. can, you know, you just can't like, you just don't like I can do me and me and Phil Heath can do the same thing. And Phil Heath, I guarantee he's going to get a lot more out of doing the same thing than I am, you know? Right. That's just how it works. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's going to lose twice the fat as I lose doing the same thing. He's going to gain twice the muscle. Right. Yeah. So much of it is. So much of it is just, you know, fueled by image though, right? I mean, even right there, you made a yeah. comparison to somebody else, you know, and, and that's what we tend to do. That's why right. you see your IG models or, or people with six packs or, you know, both. But, um, and, and that's like this image driven, this, this concept that we want to aspire to. Uh, and I think it's okay yeah. to have an image in mind. I think it's okay to have like a, a, a set goal in mind. I'd like to look as close to that as possible. But at some point in right. time, you got to cut it off and say, okay, this is what as close to that looks like on my body. And it's not going to get a whole right. lot better than that. Or, or you know, whatever. Better is maybe not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not going to get any closer to looking like that. And I don't know. And just kind of be, you know, happy with that. Be content. So. Yeah. It, it's as, it's very much as much psychological, if not more psychological than it is physical. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and there, and there are some other things that can, uh, some other downstream things that can happen when, you know, we're talking about dashes. I give you the, the main one, you know, the main ones metabolically are going to be like the thyroid, the leptin levels and stuff. And then all the other, all the other hormone adaptions that I mentioned in the, the previous podcast would also be basically that those all, all those things could happen at the same time. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. Because they're all happening in the same environment. Sure. Right. So there's quite a few. I mean, if you really, if you're, if you're tallying it up that way, there's quite a few things that could potentially go wrong mm-hmm. and at, all at once. And how, it depends on how progressed you are in the whole uh, deprivation phase before, you know, you could have, I mean, you could be a female that has, uh, estrogen dominance because your liver's not detoxing because your gut's screwed up. You can have low progesterone because we talked about progesterone steel last time. You can have high cortisol. Your thyroid's not converting very well. Uh, you're stressed out. You're tired. You're, you're gaining weight. You're not even losing weight. You know, you're gaining weight. Right. Um, you know, your leptin's obviously in the tank. Your ghrelin levels, which is your primary hunger hormone, they're throwing you all kinds of wacky signals because they're like, hey, your body's stressed out you need to eat like, well, I'm already fat. Like, why am I eating? <laughs> right. you know what I mean? It's like so, counterintuitive again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So your body's, so your body's throwing you all these ghrelin signals and all these hunger. Cause there's ghrelin's your main hunger hormone. There's a couple others, but it's like, like, what the heck is going on? Like, why is my body wanting me to eat? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really crazy phenomenon that not many people will experience, but if anyone's, if anyone's been in this situation where their body's been really, really downregulated like that, essentially what will happen, especially post contest, because you're like your contest date's gone now, you know what I mean? So you've got like less willpower going on. Mm. You have you have this thing where you eat 
and you're still hungry or you just ate and you're st- and you could literally binge. You could binge until your stomach feels like it's going to explode and you're still hungry. Like you could binge to where you damn near need to go to the hospital and you're still hungry. And it's like, it's a bizarre feeling. It's this like completely uncontrollable binge eating feeling that not a lot of people experience, but it's very, it's not a willpower thing. It's very much like a hormonal thing. That's, that's very extreme. Um, but there's people that, um, I felt it before, actually, I felt it definitely from pushing myself so hard, like, like, holy shit, like, this is weird. Like, it's like possessing my body. You know what I mean? I can't, like, I can't get it to go away. And I've seen it happen to client, like some clients or just other people that I've maybe worked with later on after preps and stuff. And they're like, they're like, dude, I gained, you know, I gained 30 pounds in two weeks. And this a female, female, have you, you know, you get a female gaining 30, 30 pounds in a few weeks that only weighed like a buck 10 to start with. You're in bad shape, Ooh. you know? Yeah. And they're like, I couldn't stop eating. Like I literally could not stop. Like I would, I wouldn't even buy the food and I would drive to the grocery drive to the drive through at like one o'clock in the morning, whatever was still open just to get food. I could not stop, you know? And that's, that's basically what's happening there is your body's like trying to reverse all those things as quickly as possible, you know? Um, which that in and of itself creates all kinds of inflammation in your body. Cause you're, <laughs> you're not, you know, you're, you're binging and you're not eating good stuff right. and you're very, you're super stressed out because you're very sad and, you know, discouraged and just upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a good, there's like one other little component that's probably worth mentioning, I guess would be, um, uh, like your neurotransmitter function. So like your dopamine and your serotonin and all that. I did a little video on my YouTube a couple weeks ago, I think. And I just called it your brain on a diet. Like what happens to your, like what happens to the chemicals in your brain when you in starvation mode versus like, like feeding mode. Yeah. And, uh, in short term, in short term, it's not anything extreme. Like there's not a ton of change for most people, but longer term deprivation, you will get initially, initially you would start to get kind of an increase in, um, increase in like your excitatory chemicals. So like your dopamine, right. Excuse me. Or uh, glutamate is another excitatory one. You would also get an increase in, uh, your hepatic glucose production would be like your liver stores glucose. So it's, you're not eating very much. So your liver is going to pump out glucose to maintain your blood sugar. Right. Cause we can fast. If, if we didn't have those mechanisms, we would die if we fasted because our blood sugar would go down to zero. Sure. Right. So you're, you know, your tissues in your body are basically like releasing glucose back into your blood say, Hey, you're good. You know, you're fine. We've got you. Right. And so these chemicals are going up because your adrenaline's going up and your cortisol and everything are going up because it's trying to basically maintain, keep you maintained, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not, you're not being fed. Um, but what will happen over time is those systems, like mainly like your adrenal glands, for example, that's the main source. Of a lot of these things, they don't get burned out. You just can't, you know, you just can't maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll, you'll end up very, very low at a point, right? So you end up very, very low. You can be just 
you, you're already tired because you're not eating much. You're already tired because your thyroid's sluggish. You're already tired because, you know, all those other number of things that we talked about. And now you're really tired because you're just flat. You know what I mean? You got no, you're, you're dopamine's very low nothing kind of really excites you your adrenal glands are really burnt out they can't really keep up with the demand anymore um you can get to like a adrenal insufficient state where it's like it's your cortisol is low you know what i mean your adrenals are so burnt out you got nothing you got nothing left your brain's burnt out you know everything's just like dude, we're done. We're going into ultra, ultra, ultra conservation mode. We're not giving you anything, right? Because we don't have anything left and we have to really preserve it in case you get chased by a bear or something right. next week, right? Because if not, it, it's, it's a really bizarre feeling. So I had a adrenal insufficiency at one point where I was like flat, my adrenal, my cortisol was like almost zero. And Dude, I felt like I could walk out in front of a semi and just not even wince. And I was just like, no, it wouldn't give you a rise at all. Just like, good to go. Fine. Yeah. Not worried about it. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a sensible person. So I'm, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't like testing my theory or anything, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, you know, like an action movie that would probably that would probably give you like I could watch John Wick kill like 70,000 people. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> You know, and uh, it is so. So as you can see, I guess kind of summarizing everything, you have you have a cascade of things that happen. For one, they start by protecting you, right? Which are fine if like a short term starvation, like you miss your breakfast. Okay, cool, no big deal. Your body pumps out a little glucose, gives you a little extra cortisol, adrenaline bump, keeps you going. Um, most people abuse caffeine anyhow. So I was almost going to say that as like, what about replacing that with caffeine? If I do in fact miss my <laughs> breakfast, especially if it's yeah, chronic, yeah. which I've been good for a while now, but they're there for a long stretch of time. That was my MO sure. and just wonder what uh, kind of damage I did. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's just adding, it's just added to that overall stress load on sure. your body. Like, yeah. you know, I don't, I think caffeine is well documented to have a lot of benefits mm-hmm. if you, you, if used appropriately, right. I mean, kind of my rule of thumb with caffeine too, is you should, you should be able to feel the caffeine that you use. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't feel anything. Then you're, de- you do, do desensitize caffeine very easily. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like any other substance that you might use and gain a tolerance to. I mean, if you're not feeling it, then yeah. in a sense, kind of chasing the dragon like you would with any other kind of yeah. drug. Caffeine. Caffeine's the most, adru- caffeine and alcohol are the two most abused drugs in the world. Absolutely. Hands down. Caffeine, caffeine even more so now because everything has caffeine in it. There's like 90 million different energy drinks. And now the energy drinks, I saw one the other day. So you know the the rock star ones that have the twist top on it? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. So those, you know, those are like 210 milligrams of caffeine. So not super crazy. Mm-hmm. They're either it's a little bit more, but it's not like insane. But I think it was Rockstar came out with one that like the big can. But right on the top, right around the rim, it said four hundred milligrams caffeine. And I'm like, okay, cool. So people are gonna drink like four of those a day. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For one, it's going to cost you $23. <laughs> you know, you might as well sure. smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and secondly, you know, secondly, you're, 
why do people caffeine such a double-edged sword too because it's awesome right sure but it also yeah i mean it is it's awesome but it's also why do you use caffeine you, you normally use caffeine because you're tired or hungry or something else when that already means your body's in a stressed out state so you're like oh let's Let's use a little bit of caffeine. Let's up the ante a little bit here. <laughs> right. So it's caffeine is very much a, I don't, I don't not saying like my clients and stuff, it's cool if we use it, but we try to, we try to moderate it mm-hmm. and uh, make sure. But yeah, so, so back to like the adaption thing, if, if somebody was dealing with that kind of stuff, we're definitely gonna have to limit, limit caffeine intake big time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anything that's, you know, anything that's going to like, push their adrenal function hard or stress or stress their body out or raise their adrenaline or cortisol. Um, we, we do have to regulate all of that stuff. Cause I think one, one really important kind of final thought is that when you evaluate these situations, you have to look at stress load as like a total cumulative thing. It's so you need to look at any possible and write it down. If you need to, you like, you know, every single thing that can cause you stress, relationships, work, training, cardio, lack of sleep, caffeine, any other medications or substances that might stress your body out, kids. diet, your kids, dude, any of that. Yeah. So if you're like, I have a lady right now that she has two young kids, they stress her out a ton. She works from home. So she's with them all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I only have her training. The, the number one best thing that we did for her that she started making progress was she's training less. There she went. She started making progress. Wow. Wow. Yeah. She started training less. And well, now she's eating more also, but she started training less than she was. And then boom, body starts responding. So it's getting ready of the extra stress that she had. Yeah. So there you go. Her body's like, okay. Because all that's really happening is your body's like, oh, it's okay now. We're fine. You know, mm-hmm. we're okay. Like, you basically, your job is to convince your body that it's okay to let go of body fat. Because if you can't convince it, your body will win every single time. It's way smarter than you are. That's a very interesting way to put it, is that you're trying to convince your body to let go of some of those protective factors that it's using, which is actually what you're trying to unload, you know, aka body fat yeah. in this case yeah you have to you have to convince it it's uh if it feels threatened good luck because there's a million and one different adaptions and other like little small intricate things that i didn't even mention that can happen and it's like you won't win you know right right. yeah you won't yeah you know one one important another important concept um that you that you kind of alluded to earlier was the neurotransmitters and then you were talking about dieting you know how much does that play into when someone, most people that, you know, everyday people, not necessarily people who are in training or anything like that, but just people in general, when they're dieting, they're absolutely miserable. You know, they're absolutely mm-hmm. miserable. You know, things like serotonin you mentioned and dopamine are, are going to be lower. Um, is, is it safe to say that you should find a happy spot mentally in your diet and, and try to stick to that. You're going to have to have some restrictions. You're going to have to have some sacrifice, obviously. But if you're absolutely miserable, A, your odds of sticking to that diet are, are next to nothing, especially if you don't have some kind of super, you know, hyped up motivation like competition or something like that. Um, right. But B, you're, you're, you feel like crap physically. And so once again, you're going to, I mean, oftentimes people replace 
a happy mood with food. Like if I'm not feeling very well, I'm going to eat this chocolate cake and that's going to make me feel better. So, um, right. I, I think it's important yeah, for people. It does make you feel better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. There's that, there's that immediate payoff. Right. And so there's a lot of things. I mean, anything makes you feel better. Alcohol makes you feel better. Caffeine makes you feel better. True. Um, marijuana makes you feel better, mm-hmm. whatever people like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, I think the um, implications that it's, it's more than just a psych, you know, a, a mindset that there's actually, you know, a, a chemical yep. process going on in your head. It's a physiological thing that you've got to, to, you know, to at least know that it's there, be aware of, you know. So you mean, you mean to tell me that it's not just my, it's not just lack of willpower. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That's it's, something, you know, because all the, uh, all the old school people are going to be like, oh, you're just a wuss. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said, yeah, I mean, some people like I can torture myself with the best of them, mm-hmm. but I also understand that there's a greater power at play here, especially for my, especially for my Gen Pop folk that's just trying to do better, you know, look better. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not just going to be uh, telling them to just suck it up. Might not work, <laughs> 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 you know. So. Um, so yes, and there's a lot of things. It could be, it could be things like that's. I think that's a lot of like why flexible dieting came about, right? Like using different foods and stuff in your diet that you might enjoy, that gives you the palatability and stuff. Which that can have its place. That definitely works as long as you're not making your diet so palatable that you just want to cheat all the time, yeah. right? Because it's triggering you. Mm-hmm. You got to be careful with that. Um, also, things like things like doing, trying to prevent the metabolic adaptions by refeeding and taking breaks. So a lot of time with my Gen Pop people, we don't really have a date as much set as maybe like the contest prep person, you know. So if I can get into like this big picture idea, I'll use diet breaks where we'll do like a week out of a out of a deficit and we'll reduce cardio or or add food or both or you know something like that. And we'll do it for like a week at a time um, where, you know, it's like we can reverse the adaptions quite a bit. And we're not like in their food or anything. We're just kind of we're bringing them back up a couple hundred calories or something where it's where their body's pretty comfortable. They feel pretty good. Their training's pretty good. Gives them a little mental break, but also gets their it gets all those neurotransmitters back where they're supposed to be. Gets mm-hmm. them feeling good. And then that way we can attack that fat loss for another four weeks or something, you know, and they're. By the end of that, they're ready for another little break, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, including things like, I mean, there's a lot of things. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, you can include things like free meals and stuff in the plan, which um, can be good and bad. Sometimes free meals, people just don't do good with them sometimes. They just, they overeat and they feel guilty and they don't make progress. I mean, if, you, if you're a woman and you're smaller and you're only eating 1,200 calories a day, I mean, you can eat two days worth of food in one free meal, like not that hard, you know, Right. Sure. it's not too difficult. Uh, so, so again, you know, we have to figure out like what the, what the middle ground is there. Um, but my biggest thing is always just preventing the adaptions in the first place, you know, preventing those stuff from happening in the first place by taking breaks. And, and I, you know, before I might've been a little more hesitant, but as when I was first starting out coaching, but as now I've done it so many times, like I don't even, I don't even hesitate. If I see somebody starting to get burnout or like 
some of those things are starting to creep in or their body's resisting and stuff. I'm like two days out of the gym, no cardio, do this to your diet, blah, blah, blah. Let me know how you feel next time. Good to go. And we never get dug in that hole. You know what I mean? Like we never dig ourselves way down in that hole because we're always kind of staying. We're always kind of staying a little bit ahead of the game. Um, so I guess that's a good message for people is you're, what is that? Listen to your body, as they say. There you go. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, don't listen to Don't take that completely literally because it's going to throw you, it's going to tell you some things like eat the cake or whatever that you might not <laughs> want to do. But, but yeah, it does. Uh, your body does tell you a lot. And yes, there's a certain amount of you have to, you want to use the word sacrifice or whatever you want to call it. I mean, sure. I, I don't really call it sacrifice. I just call it kind of a matter of wanting you got you know a little bit of discomfort to get to attain something. I mean, heck, I haven't found anything that I've attained that didn't require a little bit of discomfort. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just even just like business and stuff. I work too much, but I but it you know I get where I want to be. I know if I didn't work hard, I wouldn't. My business wouldn't grow. Sure. Right. Well, you know, in the in the behavioral sciences, we talk about your your actions have to mirror your goals. You know, you, what you do need to be leading you down the path to where that goal is. And if you're not doing that, then it, it and some things are are more palatable than others. You know, some things are a little uncomfortable. Some things are, you know, you could use sacrifice again. Um, it just depends on where you're going and, and what your main uh, objective is, right? Yeah. And here's something that you too would probably agree with too is that. Most people, they start with the wrong mindset. They're already expecting it to suck and be terrible before they even start. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, forget it. Don't right. even, you know, like I, and I see it in bodybuilders too. They start a contest prep and they're one weekend. They're like, coach, I'm so hungry. And then I'm like, dude, I just took like 200 calories out of your diet. You're still eating like 4,000 calories a day. We <laughs> yeah. just started last week. Like this sucks. I'm like, you so that's mental right there. Uh-huh. That's nothing else with your brain. Yeah. You know, because, and that's just like people, people get this. I'm dieting now. Uh Oh, so my whole entire my, mindset in life needs to be flipped upside down. So that's where the whole idea of like uh, lifestyle change is really going to be the biggest, most important thing is that guess what? If you lose some weight and you don't want to regain that weight, then you have to, do something permanently to um, to change that. So you have to adopt. And, and when it's a priority, no one ever complains if it's a priority because you're like, oh, I don't want to miss a workout, you know, because it's it's a priority now. It's just like anything else. If you have a kid, there's priorities there, right? Mm-hmm. You're not even going to entertain other things because you got to get that done first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's your priority. Yeah. You know, so it needs to be your priority and it needs to be it just needs to be viewed as a, a necessity and a, a part of your everyday process and a, and a health, like a long-term health commitment, you know, mm-hmm. not just like, Hey, can I lose 15 pounds for Sally's wedding? And then what the hell else happens beyond that? Who cares? Yeah. Also the mindset that if you make it the priority for long enough, now it's a habit and it's not necessarily a priority yeah. anymore. It's just what you do. It's just part of it. Yeah. Just a lifestyle change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Habits. Habits take, you know, whatever amount of time to form. It's not, it's not a couple of weeks. Right. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Austin, this yeah. has been very informative, man. Very good stuff. Um, 
a lot of a lot of information to unpack here, uh, but I think that uh, I think we give a good, nice, well-rounded discussion as far as metabolic adaption goes, and uh, a lot more for people who are interested to you know kind of take some of these terms and some of these concepts and do some more of their digging as well because. Uh, there's no way to possibly cover everything just in one session like this, but very good right. stuff, man. And, uh, yeah, uh, appreciate you coming on again, sir. And we're going to look forward to part three of this series coming up soon on, awesome. uh, yeah, the, uh, psychological consequences, right. Of fitness. Oh, and, uh, there we go. So I guess that, that was our preview into the last one. Uh huh. Yeah. So looking forward to that one, of course, and looking forward to speak with you again, man. Appreciate you as always. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you again to Austin Stout and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth feels like a finely tuned metabolism for us. So don't forget to tell your friends and fam about the great variety that you hear right here on the CEP. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love so that you can keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. Also, on that note, when you go to Apple Podcasts, it would help us immensely if you would give us a five-star rating while you're there to show your love for the CEP. And you know what's coming next. Come on now. Speaking of love for the CEP, we love it when you give us all of your love on the socials. So please, love us on the socials. And be sure to visit the launching pad, the new and improved launching pad, for all things cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, if you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Don't forget about our official CEP Network merch at buyjack.com slash CEP. And that's all I've got, folks. So until next time, be sure to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours warm out there. See ya.